Hi there, I'm Amanda Stevens, and welcome to the Epic Podcast, where I explore the minds of some of the planet's most epic entrepreneurs, business leaders, and visionaries to unearth their incredible stories, their journey to success, how they do what they do, and most importantly, why. My hope is that you'll find some inspiration in each episode, some new ideas, or perhaps just a little motivation to build an epic business and life. Hey guys, and a big, awesome, epic welcome to episode four of the Epic Podcast. Today's chat is a little bit different. Uh, We are talking today to the founder and CEO of Storage King, which is the largest self-storage brand in Australia and New Zealand. This is uh, a, a different chat, but you're going to get a lot out of it by meeting Michael Tate. He is an epic human, an epic business person. Uh, and in this chat, you'll see really the power of being in a role for a really long time, but maintaining a sense of humility and curiosity. And of course, we have the epic Amelia Phillips here with us to share the final of her four uh, epic health hacks with us. So let's cue the epic music music and get ready for the epic podcast. Now, unless you've never moved or have a house and garage so big that you've never had to store anything, or perhaps you've been living under a rock, you will know of Storage King. It's the largest self-storage organisation in Australia and New Zealand, and my guest today is the co-founder and CEO, Michael Tate. I first met Michael when I spoke at the Storage King conference a few months ago, and I was literally blown away by his level of passion, enthusiasm, and infectious energy, which is kind of amazing considering Michael has been at the helm of this business for over 20 years. Today, he's on the show to unpack... Uh-huh, get it? Some of the lessons he's learned from building a business over two decades, from startup phase to what is now a multi-million dollar business with over 160 storage kings across Australia and New Zealand. Michael Tate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Now, you're one of the co-founders of one of the biggest brands in Australia and New Zealand. Was your vision when you started this business that Storage King would dominate the industry the way it does today? As a matter of fact, it was. Um, it, well, in those days when we first started it, to dominate the industry didn't have to be that big, so the scale wasn't completely out of the question. Um, the biggest operator at that time probably had around about uh, 20 to 25 storage facilities. So, yeah, so the vision was to dominate in terms of market share and, and uh, brand scale and... And the thought was to get to over 20 would would start that process. So the very fact that it's sort of 20 years later and it's more like 160 is uh, just makes the whole equation a bit different. Mm. So take us back to that startup phase. How did you go from a standing start to 20 facilities? Well, what, what we did was um, my, my business partner, David Scanlon, and I had been in the self-storage industry with one of the major players who had uh, about 15 storage facilities and they sold out to some American private equity. So we started up our own brand named Storage King and, and the way we went about it was we didn't really have the capital to develop 
uh, storage sites for ourselves because, you know, obviously they're big footprints, um, high real estate cost. Um, and as young men, we, we just didn't have the um, capital behind us at that point. So the way we approached it was to go to the existing fragmented independent operators that existed in the self-storage industry at that time and invite certain targeted ones um, in Sydney and Melbourne in particular to get it started um, to a function where we, we, we were explaining our vision for market share and 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 we got these people in the room. We, we, and and I'd, I'd had the history of the industry probably five or six years of of meeting a lot of these guys at at, at um, you know industry conventions and and various training sessions and that sort of stuff, um, industry related uh, functions. So I, I did know a few of them. So we got together and and because we'd run sort of a, a mini multi site operation in thirteen or fourteen storage facilities, with a leading player in those days, Miller's Self Storage. Um, we we attracted these guys to come together under one banner. And, and get the benefits of sort of having a, a big brand while still retaining your sort of independence and owner-operators. Mm. And so how many of them signed on? Um, we invited about 18 or so to the Sydney meeting and about 12 or so to the Melbourne meeting and, and all up after, you know, probably two or three months of toing and froing, we had 18 all up or 19 all up. Um, in Sydney and Melbourne, roughly split 10, 10 and nine, and and, the, and we were away. You know, they, so what what they were required to do was to change their their brand name, I guess, from like Amanda's Self Storage to uh, Storage King Bean Lee or something. So mm. and 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 it went from there. But apart from that, there wasn't a lot of um, emphasis on them to do. You know, um, stuff that they weren't already doing. It was more about pooling out our marketing funds together and, and um, making a statement in terms of uh, educating the market about our product. You obviously gave a pretty good pitch at the, that meeting <laughs> for that many to sign on um, yeah. and have faith in the vision. Did that take the industry by surprise, I'm assuming a little bit? It did. It did take the industry by surprise. Um, and, and and a lot of people in the industry suggested it wouldn't work. and. And I guess looking back at it, I, I, we didn't we didn't foresee it not working, um, but we did hear that on occasions that that wouldn't work. I, I, personally, I couldn't see how it would not wouldn't work um, uh, because the whole premise was really we're not going to upset you or your business. We're, we're going to benefit you, and and at, and at very little uh, outlay to yourselves. Um, the biggest issue for them was the emotional removal of their existing brand name to a broader brand name called Storage King. Mm -hmm. So if you've got your own name on the door, like Stephen's self-storage or something, um, it, it is a bit of a step to give up the uh, that name, even, even if it's just one storage facility and only known in the local two or three kilometres, um, it still is a step to do that and an emotional step. And I think that was probably the hardest thing for some of the early operators to divorce themselves from, um, calling them like their own surname or their own. Mm. Uh, some of them had motifs. Um, one was called Eagle Self Storage, and, and, and the lady who owned that store 
said, I love my Eagle. It's very hard to give that up and call it Storage King. And so that was more the issue than the financial or, or economic uh, issues. Interesting. So how did you convince them to let go of, you know, what, as you say, is an emotional attachment for many of them? Yeah, an emotional attachment. Um, well, I think at, in that day and age, so you were talking 1998, it, there was fairly good evidence that in much of retail, and we considered ourselves very much a retail industry, and in much of retail, similar things were happening. Brands, uh, stronger brands were emerging, um, groups were getting together. Uh, we went and we actually went and uh, studied a few. Uh, Mitre 10 was one we looked at in the hardware. Um, I don't know if you remember Porter's Liquor, like uh, bottle shops, um, Captain Snooze, bedding and mattresses, um, all of which had sort of taken advantage of this style of model, but no one had done it in the self-storage industry. Mm. So so we thought, well, it makes sense to happen, and, and, and that was... And I think most uh, economically-minded people... And investors in in storage operations would they want returns at the end of the day, and they can see the benefits, the financial gains coming down the track. Mm. So, in drawing inspiration from what had happened and the success that um, other brands in in completely unrelated industries had had, is that something that you continue to do today to look to other industries for inspiration? Absolutely, yeah. I I, I think. Um, I mean, we're in a much different different space now than what we were then. Much more, I guess, corporatized to to an extent. Um, but now it's about trying to dominate, not so much in scale, but in voice. And and I often refer to these the battles that we're involved in, and, and most most industries this would be true for that the battle of supply or market share, which which is a never ending thing. But more importantly, I think the battle of demand and, and marketing like as, as to where our next customers are coming from and that whole education of your product out to the public um, is a massive, massive focus for us because you just can't rely on, on um, population growth and crowded houses to get more storage happening. You've got to, you've got to actually make yourself available and I think, I think the... the the focus these days is on the scale of that message rather than on the scale of the number of stores. Mm. And so how do you differentiate? I mean, even though now you've got the largest footprint uh, in the country, in Australia and New Zealand, for storage facilities, it's a fairly commoditised offering, isn't it? Mm. Like to the consumer, <laughs> how do they yep. distinguish between you versus a competitor? So how are you differentiating the brand? Really good question, and that's... That's the hard thing to make obvious to the average punter because, um, yeah, I think there's a the industry has suffered and is continuing to suffer from a lack of awareness of actually what it is. There, there I mean, there would be a fleeting interest for the average person about storage and what it does. They drive past one, they see sort of rows of car garages, or they see you know um, rows of roller shutters uh, on multi levels and. So they just consider it a, just a little room to throw some junk in, um, but without considering all the ramifications around the life events that occur that leads to that. And so we try and differentiate ourselves a lot more with the with the lead up process to storing. Um, most most people end up storing their items, their valued possessions, on the basis of some change in their life, uh, whether it be moving house or 
moving overseas or renovating a house or downsizing, um, even divorce, for instance, or, or um, that scenario where um, you, you've got to make up your mind as to what you want to do with stuff you've accumulated over a long period of time. And so we sort of differentiate ourselves by getting into that education side and that we're an option to help you help the average customer not only just store their stuff but work out what they need, what they don't need, move it, have it packed at home and move it into storage. Um, the whole moving process is a whole industry on its own. Uh, the removalist industry is a massive um, is a massive industry as well. So obviously alignment with those guys is really important. So I think uh, it takes it away from being a more, more commoditized thing and goes from more of an end-to-end life event as opposed to just providing storage units. Mm, so less square metres and more understanding the emotional triggers. That's right. And exactly it, that. Exactly understanding the emotional triggers and, and what leads to it. You know, and it, like People don't often want to move um, I mean, sometimes they're forced to move. Sometimes things happen to them that means they've got to change uh, their circumstances. So it can be quite stressful. And, and so we've got to be the front and centre when that when that event happens. And that's a really interesting point you make because going in, well, choosing to have a storage facility, as you've just talked about, is it's often, it could be a grudge purchase. It could be highly emotional if there's a big life event happening. It's very incredibly stressful. Um, there's a lot of anxiety. How do you deliver a positive customer experience when someone's going through, you know, what is a really anxious time often? Yeah, it's, that's an excellent question too because the, the, the biggest event, the, the, some of the larger events are obviously very stressful, but even minor events like renovating a house is quite a stressful thing. Even renovating two rooms of a house can be quite a stressful thing and, and requiring storage for that. So the idea for us is to make it as stress-free as possible so that because there's so much confusion around, oh, well, what do I need? What moving do I need? How am I going to pack it? Geez, how many boxes? What do I do with all the kitchenware in the meantime where I'm going to shift that? All these questions going through the household, um, our idea is to provide expertise in that, not not so much in providing information for the customer, but providing services for, so they don't have to worry about it. At the end of the day, no one likes packing up their house. No one likes arranging and unpacking boxes at the other end. So we, we help provide the services where you can actually hire the services for that um, that process and that takes a lot of the heat out of the whole issue so that the customer can be at work as they normally would be or picking up kids as they normally would be um, as, as quickly uh, as possible. So that's the, that's the plan anyway. Mm. And you mentioned obviously the removal business is mm. very much aligned or is generally part of the process. Have you yep. ever felt the temptation to expand into that given it's quite a natural extension of what you of Storage King? Um, we have contemplated it. It is a massively specialised industry. It, it, it's the, the more you look into logistics generally, the more you understand how good those guys are because the, the especially with the way um, things can go wrong, uh, not just in the actual transportation, but 
delivery times, people there being able to open the door for you, just basic stuff that that is so frustrating to the system. There's so many points of the system that can be broken down. So we, we would rather align ourselves to experts in that field who have been doing it for a long time. And, and the good thing with our scale, like I said before, is when you've got some scale and we've got a, a conduit of customer inquiries, they want to please us as, as a client. So we sort of act on behalf of our storage customer mm. uh, as the client with the, with the removalist. And, and, that, and they know that they get a lot of business from us and, and so the relationship's strong and the quality of work's good more particularly. So and, and ultimately, ultimately better for the customer. That's right. So the customer really, the storage customer at the end of the day should, should the less they've got to do, the better, basically. Mm. So you've went from original 19 sites to today 161. How, yep. how did you get to critical mass so quickly? Uh, well, there's a few reasons. One, the original 19 have been enormously supportive because what what occurred over those uh, first few years was here you've got 19 different owner-operators earning a certain level of return on their storage investment. Uh, some had been around for 10 years, some had been around for 20 years, even at that point, and earning similar levels of return each year. But when they came on board under the one banner and, and we grew the the demand, the, the inquiry pool for their services, obviously they've got some pretty significant growth in their revenue. And, and over first, the first two years, they had very significant growth because they previously were putting a, you know, a small ad in the yellow pages and now they were you know, with a brand on television, um, advertising, 60-second advertisements on TV, a little bit of radio, uh, big yellow pages advertising, all, all pre-internet sort of stuff, but... Um, so the, the phone was ringing two or three times as much as it was beforehand. So that did enormous things for their confidence and for their arrangements with banks, etc., where they felt the confidence to go and develop a second and a third storage site. And generally, these people are property development people. They're, they're property people. So um, if you're thinking of it in that way, like you've got 19 people all wanting to do a second, third site, uh, that multiplier effect starts to take place, and you get, you know, and I've got there's 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 one one gentleman that started with us back in '98. It's still around now today. He's got five or six sites. He just did it nice and methodically. Just added a site every four or five years, basically, and and that sort of scenario is reasonably common. So there there was that um, to to draw up the scale. The the other bit was. Uh, the influx of sort of institutional money um, in, say, around 2005, um, where a lot of other property asset classes weren't delivering the returns. It's probably a little bit like today, actually. Weren't delivering the returns that storage could deliver. And one one um, group in particular has been enormously supportive of us the whole way through. That's Abacus Property Group. Um, and they... They became involved in about 2005 and accelerated our growth by acquisition of um, some further storage facilities out there in the fragmented marketplace, and and they've gone about that 
over the course of the last 10 to 12 years themselves. So, um, so yeah, yeah generally uh, new new entrants to the market have been, uh, to our to to Storage King has been have been quite expansive in their thinking. They they, they come in thinking I'm not going to do one, I'm going to do five. Mm. And in Abacus's case, they came in, you know, buying I think original 15, and they said, well, we're not going to stop at 15. We'll end up with 100. So, um, so when you've got that mentality and good property people who can find sites, then you've got a good, uh, good uh, source of source of growth. And I'm assuming, like a lot of other big, big box kind of um, business models, like you know, even Bunnings, I'm thinking of, and might attain in places like that. The key factor, or the key constraint to growth, is finding sites, isn't it? Is that is that what's holding back the business from having even more facilities now? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, there's been a hell of a lot of development in finding sites in the last five or six years, but it is slowing because uh, we're generally finding sites in, in growth corridors, population growth corridors, whereas in the early days you were trying to find sites in high residential, high um, apartment living in a suburban areas. Um, those areas are much harder and, and very rarely would stack up for cell storage purposes. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the challenge remains to find the right real estate for it. Equally, um, you know, with the current slowdown of economic conditions in terms of consumer confidence, it's probably not the ideal time to be developing a lot more supply because the residential housing market's slow. Um, so th- there are periods that you know where we, we back off from that point of view, back off encouraging um, our investors to find more real estate because it's just um, we'll have difficulty filling stores if if we just continue to to grow ad nauseum. Mm. What are the changes that you're seeing in the demand or the trends around storage compared to 20 years ago? Are people accumulating more stuff, less stuff? Uh, is the business market changing? Because I'm assuming that um, business customers are um, a greater proportion of your um, of your demand now versus 20 years ago. Yeah, well spotted. Exactly. That that that's that's a fundamental shift. I mean, it's not a rapid shift, by the way. It's been been quite gradual, um, but just look in terms of society and the accumulators in this world. I mean, you've probably seen, you've probably seen the various U.S. documentary shows and and you know hoarders and uh, various people who just have very great difficulty in letting go of their possessions, um, and that is still the case. In fact, probably more than ever, people tend to hold on to their possessions sentimentally as well not just in terms of any value to them, financial value. So um, that's always been the case and and is probably growing a little. Um, But more than that has been the shift to a lot more small business. Um, Lots of startups, uh, importer, exporters, secondhand dealers, um, you know, amateur, Gumtree and eBay traders, um, all... Or not not wanting to take out a warehouse space to or their own garage to uh, monitor their stock movement and what they're buying and selling. They but a self storage unit is very handy for that sort of scenario because it's only a month tenancy. You can leave at any time, um, 
and you can scale up and scale down as you as you wish. You can get another storage unit next to the one you've got. And so those type of operators uh, are very much part of our part of our fabric now. Probably between twenty five and thirty percent. Wow. Of our, yeah. So and it's growing. And they're hard to get to because um, you know how they consume media and and is is difficult because they're quite independent entrepreneurial people. Um, so advertising to them, making sure they're aware of all the services, not just the storage unit, but all the related services isn't easy, but, um, but they're definitely growing. Yeah. This episode of the Epic Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Storage King. When you're building an epic business in life, sometimes you have to store some excess stuff. It could be furniture, retail stock, or even somewhere to house the epic ideas that you're going to have after listening to this show. If that's you, speak to the awesome kings and queens at Storage King. In fact, they have a special introductory offer for epic podcast listeners to get you started. Simply head over to storageking.com.au slash epic to learn all about it. Now, Michael, I recently labelled you as one of all, certainly I think the most enthusiastic CEO that I've dealt with in a very long time. You've been at the helm of this business for 20 years, obviously seen incredible change and growth. How do you maintain the passion, the energy and the just complete focus um, on what you do and, 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 you know, a passion for the industry, a passion for your franchise partners mm. um, and just a, a passion for the brand, which is, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen this level of enthusiasm for quite a long time. I, yeah, I, look, I don't, I don't know per se what it is. I would guess generally, I, I mean, I am so, and, and the comment you made is very well appreciated and it is made by a number of our our storage investors, our licensees, we call them, um, to me every year, especially those that have been around for a while asking how I maintain it. I, I think the thing is, the more competitive it gets, it, the more fun it gets. It's a bit, uh, and, I'm, and I'm huge on my sport uh, analogies, as, as people in my head office would <laughs> would suggest as well. Um, I just love the contest. I, I just think... Um, the emergence of some major brands in competition with us has reignited my passion. Um, you know, I like to win at the end of the day. You, you, you've got to, the game is being played, as I said, in supply terms, in demand terms, in day-to-day management terms. And, and I think if, if you've got the, like having a sporting team, if you've got the best people on the field at the right time, um, you have success, and I love celebrating success too. So, mm. so that's part of it. But yeah, that, I think uh, with 360 odd staff, getting them all pushing in the one direction and really passionate about what they're doing. Admittedly, in an industry that wouldn't be overly sexy to the average person with the way they think of it, the storage industry, getting a career in that industry. But um, these people love it, and they and that was evidenced recently at the award ceremonies and things we have. They, they're just average day-to-day people that want to be inspired and they want to inspire others and they've got the ability to do that. Everyone's got it. So it's really, that's the exciting bit for me. It's just good fun winning and inspiring others to win. Mm. So what, thinking back over the last 20 years, what would you have done differently? Um, 
Gee, that's a good question too. You've got great questions, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you. I don't ask uh, the easy ones. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, what would I do differently? Look, there, there's been a couple of occasions where I think we've, we've grown too quickly. Um, look, the temptation, especially when you're younger and very entrepreneurial, is to let's just get out there and get everywhere, uh, dominate the world sort of stuff. And, you know, and, that's, and, and I see that in young people now. I, I think that's highly admirable. But at the same time, we, you, you've got to be smart about your growth. And there were, there were a couple of phases there through uh, the mid-2000s where we probably went too hard too quickly and, and we were spread too thin and, and service starts to drop a little and quality starts to drop a little um, and your back end can't keep up with it, you know, your administration can't keep up with it and there's been times, you know, where, where it's been pretty hard yakka um, in that scenario but we've, we've generally just sort of put the head down and, and got through it um, and... But if I was to look back, I'd go, yeah, it'd be nicer to have a more moderated sort of growth pattern, really. But a lot, at the end of the day, a lot of these things you can't control. You know, you've got to take your opportunities when they're there. Opportunities don't come when you want them to come. They come when they want to come. So. And that's the thing about growth. You often can't, as you say, you can't control it. Um, and we all want to, you know, we all have, well, a lot of business owners have aspirations to scale. And sometimes that growth does get out of control, doesn't it? It does. And look, and it's hard to recognise mm. because it's exciting. When, when you're in it, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to recognise because it's exciting and, and and also the personalities that are around you at the time. Obviously, everyone's influenced by the people they work with from day to day. Um, and if everyone else is excited and you're excited, you're sort of blinded to to what the ramifications of that might be. Um, it's very difficult to divorce yourself and sit in a room of mirrors and sort of look at the, every situation logically, you, sometimes you just got to, you get swept up in it and you just got to go for it. And and that's how it started in the first place. We went for it. So so in some ways, it's just um, it's just part of the course, really. Mm. So you just got to, you just got to deal with it. It just means that, just means that sometimes you don't sleep as well as, uh, as, as other more uh, safe positions would. Mm. So being the industry leader, Michael, where do you draw inspiration from? Oh, definitely, oh, well, there's two areas. Internally, like I said before, um, we had a lady, for instance, that, that came out from the UK, tried to get a job. Um, she was telling this story recently. Tried to get a job anywhere, really, in Australia, you know, just try and settle down after a, a split up. And she tried for three months or so, ended up, saw this job in the paper or on Seek um, for Storage King and, and is in Victoria and now general manager down there gave her, gave her a go. And she has blossomed. Yeah, she started very quietly, lacking confidence. She hadn't worked for some time um, back in the UK and, and she's really blossomed. Like it's taken time. She's had to learn the ropes. Um, but she got up recently at our conference winning, uh, I think it was the runner-up store manager of the year, and, and she was so beside herself with, with her own um, excitement that it, that inspires. Me standing up there taking photos with it just inspires me. I, I just love seeing that. I want to see the next story of that. Mm. And, and there's stories like that all the time. 
So that's from an internal perspective. And it might sound a bit soppy for a CEO to say that, but I genuinely do. I, I choke up up there and, and there's been evidence of that over the years where I just love to see uh, a battler um, come to the fore and, and in front on a big stage, you know, in a beautiful big, you know, sort of like the Academy Awards type scenario. It's, uh, it's our version of it and, and they just love it and it just inspires me. But secondly, outwardly, external to Storage King, um, the inspiration comes from uh, from what you read and see every day in, in, in other businesses. You know, there's there's so many good examples, so many smart people out there that are doing great things, um, and and I like to keep keep abreast of that. And and uh, you know, I have I go to conferences regularly. I have speakers like Amanda Stevens coming and inspiring. <laughs> I have I have scenarios like that a lot. Um, go to the US a lot to gain uh, inspiration and there's just so much more to do. So that just keeps ticking over. So, And I've just got this competitive build in me. I just, I just want to win. Mm, and it shows and it's infectious to the people around you. Now, my final question, and this is something I ask all of our guests, is what advice would 20-year-old Michael Tate give you? <laughs> the 20-year-old Michael Tate was hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> He was at uni studying and doing his best, spending most of his time you know, playing footy and chasing girls around, I suspect. <laughs> but uh, look, in all seriousness, I, I um, look, I think I think the twenty-year-old me would would isn't that different. You know, the, he wanted to win, and he would say, "Go and go and try things out. Um, go and take on the world in, 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 with what you think you can influence." Um, and that and that came from you know a family background, very much a family background of strong leadership. Um, it was always instilled that um, you know you can choose to be a leader or a follower. You don't you're not necessarily born into it. You can choose to be a leader if you want to by your behaviours. And and I think the twenty year old me would say uh, the same thing: continue to lead and influence others um, rather than follow. So that's probably where I'd leave it. And what do you think, uh, what do you think 80-year-old, what advice would 80-year-old would Michael Tate give you? Get out while you can. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I don't know. Uh, that's a good one. I don't know what 80-year-old me would be like. Um, yeah, he'd probably say get out and enjoy, enjoy yourself. Don't leave it too long, possibly. Um, yeah, but 80, I'd be hopefully still playing decent golf then or something. Lawn bowls, maybe. <laughs> Something competitive, anyway. Yeah, you are competitive, and like you say, get out and enjoy it while you can. But you're you are enjoying what you're doing every oh, single I am. day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's there's no question of that, and no question of me going anywhere at the moment. I'm I'm loving it. Um, and, and there's a lot more to play out. You know, there's this is just getting interesting, really, in, in terms of co- a competitive fight, and and in terms of the industry as a genuine asset class of it in its own right. Um, it's now emerging, you know, whereas before it was sort of like a an adjunct to um, to the other big, you know, forms of investment, commercial and residential and office and retail in property. This is a genuine category in, in its own right. So I'm, I'm enjoying being here as it evolves. Mm, and being part of that evolution. So what is on the horizon for Storage King? As you say, it's a much more competitive uh, industry and sector now than it was even five years ago. Um, what what can we expect to see in the next five years? Yeah, 
Oh, look, I, I think um, there's. I often refer to these about my sort of strategy for the next five years is reinforce, build, and bounce. So, so you got reinforce means never take your eye off the ball of what you've built, um, and don't take for granted the people who are part of that success at the moment. So, reinforce the success that's been that's occurred over the last twenty years and the people involved in it and all those stakeholders that they're continuing to. You know, continue to enjoy their investments, continuing to enjoy their roles as staff. Um, that's really important from a reinforcement point of view. But more build build is about um, just building the efficiencies. So it's the boring stuff probably to the average person, but it, it's building the three four percent returns through better efficiency and just doing the basics better, basically. Mm. And then there's the bounce stuff, um, and I speak a lot at conferences about this where where we take this business to the next level where our competitors can't reach. And and that's that stuff I was talking about before where we're in the mindset of the customer from end to end for life events. Um, now, it's an easy thing for a CEO to preach that. Uh, it's a harder thing to implement as actual, you know, uh, processed change. But that bounce the business to the next level is not going to happen by just providing storage units, a commoditized, as you suggested, a commoditized storage unit. Uh, it's not going to happen like that. Um, so it needs to be broader than that, added value, all that sort of stuff from from the start of people thinking about moving or, or packing um, all the way through to the end to where they want to settle. So that's that'll be the key to our next five years. Mm, reinforce, build and bounce. I love it. RBB and it's, I think, a strategy that could be applied equally to life and business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your enthusiasm, your drive and your passion. And uh, we wish you all the best and we look forward to seeing the next phase for Storage King. Thanks, Amanda. It's been great. How good was that? I told you you would love Michael Tate. What an incredible human. He's been in that role for 20 years, but certainly not someone stuck in his ways. Um, I found that a really honest tale of building a business, the highs, the lows, uh, and, and really the uh, honesty around those challenges I found incredibly refreshing. So here are my three outtakes. It was pretty hard to distill it down to three, but I think the first one is Energy is a choice. Uh, that's a saying by my good friend Chris Helder, but I think that Michael Tate really embodies this quote. Uh, he has, you know, as to his own admission, a similar level of energy that he had 20 years ago when he founded this business, um, which obviously demonstrates the incredible passion and enthusiasm that he still has for the business. Um, number two, maintain curiosity. Michael being in this role for 20 years, he's he's not stuck in his ways, as I said, and he's just constantly curious and constantly wanting to push the envelope uh, on what's possible, uh, how things can be disrupted uh, and what, what is really possible with this business. He certainly um, isn't resting on his laurels. He's looking at what's next. And the third one, and I think this was a real eye-opener for me in terms of the success of Storage King, is be constantly looking for ways to better serve your customers and to create a competitive advantage. It, there's probably very few businesses that are as commoditized uh, as self-storage, but 
Storage King really does stand out and, and Michael at the helm of that business is constantly looking for ways to create that point of differentiation, which has obviously served them very well. So hope you enjoyed it. I certainly loved that chat. All right, listeners, it's time for this week's epic health hack. And this week, I want to talk about supplements. I don't know about you, but I feel a little overwhelmed at how many supplements are on offer. They make all sorts of promises. uh, And particularly around the topics of stress, supplements can help, um, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional stress. Uh, So to find out more about just exactly what supplements we should be looking at, we have got our favorite nutritionist and exercise scientist, Amelia Phillips, on the show to discuss this. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Amanda. So let's talk about supplements. It's a big topic. And of course, this has been such a growth area. Um, the number of supplements uh, available to us now is has grown mm. exponentially. Um, when you have some of your clients who are under stress, what are some of the top supplements that you recommend? Mm. Well, look, one I particularly want to focus on is something called L-glutamine. Now, glutamine is one of the most powerful amino acids out there. Um, The body requires 20 essential and non-essential amino acids that work to create various proteins in our body that uh, elicit um, different chain reactions and hormonal reactions. You know, being able to get adequate protein is critical for health. um, And usually a person produces enough L-glutamine themselves to meet all of the body's needs but in times of stress whether it be physical mental or emotional there can be a shortfall of l-glutamine leading to deficiency so some of the deficiency symptoms include feeling anxious having sugar or alcohol cravings constipation or diarrhea poor immune system having a lower muscle mass particularly as we age poor wound healing and slower recovery after workouts. So if any of those are ringing bells for you, L-glutamine might be a good supplement to consider. Sounds like a wonder drug. (laughs) It's not even a drug. It's something, you know, it's an amino acid. And and how do you take it? It's just a tablet form? Uh, Usually in powder. So you Mm -hmm. usually just mix it, um, you know, I think it's around two to five grams a day and you just mix it with water uh, and you just drink it as, um, yeah, uh, you just drink it with your water. Awesome. Anything that would help with sugar cravings, I am up for. Well, I, well, that's one of the main benefits, actually. And what I find, if I do have a client that has a major sweet tooth, about 30 to 40 minutes before you get those sweet tooth cravings, so say um, in that like, you know, 2 to 4 p.m. time frame or after dinner, you have your L-glutamine then and it really curbs your sugar cravings, mm. um, particularly like if it's a habitual thing because you're bored or you're tired or whatever, um, it won't curb it as much, but it definitely does. It also, a couple of other benefits of L-glutamine, it improves the integrity of your intestinal wall, so it can really help with IBS symptoms as well, irritable bowel. The other thing it's really good for is brain and mental health. Um, it's a precursor to the neurotransmitter glutamate in your brain Um, and so if a disruption of this glutamine glutamate cycle occurs then it can lead to all sorts of mental health issues such as anxiety depression alcohol addiction it promotes muscle growth it decreases muscle wastage it improves recovery it burns fat helps with diabetes helps to suppress insulin levels to stabilize glucose and that's why it's really good for sugar cravings it's it's a it's a great it's a great supplement and it's very safe as well so it's going to make me eat less sugar crave less sugar and be smarter 
pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm Not going... that you could be much smarter, Amanda. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to go and get some right now. Um, and so that's obviously <laughs> one um, supplement that you do recommend. Are there any others um, that you recommend to, you know, for those who are listening who are working long hours, um, you know, high intensity, probably exercising a fair bit uh, and really sort of living yep. an epic life, what else would you recommend? Yeah, um, there's another one out there called Armor Force, spelled A-R-M-A, Force, and it's biocuticals. I'm not sponsored, by the way, by any of these brands, just so you know. Yeah, I have to say I discovered Armor Force recently and I have not been sick since I've been taking this. It is incredible. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's um, I, I've had a lot of um, positive feedback. It's clinically proven as well. They've done clinical trials trials with it. Um, so you know, it's great for when your immune system is down or you feel like you might be getting sick. Um, you know, it's it's a formula. It combines immune enhancing herbs and nutrients, and it's been scientifically formulated to help provide relief from symptoms. Um, you know, such as upper respiratory, respiratory tract infections and common colds. It's just a really good booster when your immune system's flat. Mm, awesome. What's in it? Um, things like echinacea root, olive leaf, vitamin C, uh, zinc. So some pretty powerful heavy hitters, um, but, but again, all, you know, very safe supplements and nutrients to take as well. So, uh, you know, you're meant to take one tablet a day, but if I'm coming down with something, I'll smash two tablets a day. Yeah. Awesome. So L-glutamine and Armour Force are your health hacks for this week. Yeah, they would be the main ones. Magnesium is another one I think I mentioned in a in an earlier segment. Um, always consult with your healthcare professional before um, taking supplements. And of course, we, can, we try to get everything we can from a healthy whole foods diet, but let's face it if we know our diet's a bit um under 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 par compromised then, yes um you know if you've got thyroid issues there's a great one called thyroplex as well that's very good um and you know if you are under the weather a, a general multivitamin but rotate these don't stay on these vitamins forever you know go through a pack and then you might switch to something else the jury is still out there is research out there about vitamins in general that supports um findings that they work and then there's some research that say that it doesn't I say if it's look if it's not hurting us and we are feeling under the weather or stress then then give it a go. I always do wonder about those research reports that come out. Um, you know, Current Affair rolls this story out regularly about how vitamins just aren't proven to do any to give you any benefit at all. Mm. And then I look at the size of the supplements industry and I just say mm. I just think they're just at such odds. You know, what what's your view on it? Look, uh, I think that you can't make these broad blanket statements one way or the other i think you know the because you can't just say are vitamins in general healthy or unhealthy because you need to drill down on each particular nutrients and the, the jury really is out like for example i mean take a personal story from me i was iodine deficient not so long ago um took an iodine supplement for six weeks and my iodine levels were through the roof i mean you know there's a perfect example where it's mm. it has helped um I think you you look at your financial situation. Can you afford them? You look at your diet. Um, you know, have you got a pretty healthy diet? That's why I think being a little bit more bespoke with the supplements you choose and um, the quality of them plays a big part as well. So a lot of those sort of pharmacy brands um, may not have the quality that some of the um, 
practitioner only brands have. You'll have some nutritionists that are dead against them. I tend to find that they've been helpful for me in my practice. Mm, and certainly for me, Armaforce I know has made a difference to my immune system uh, of not yeah. being sick. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good to keep an eye on the research, but um, yeah, I, I certainly am, am okay with it. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Amelia. Really appreciate those tips. And of course, for more health hacks, visit Amelia at ameliaphillips.com.au or download her fabulous podcast, Healthy Her. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope that you're feeling inspired to go and do, create or manifest something epic in your life. And if you're feeling inspired, perhaps give this episode an epic share on your favourite socials. I would be epically grateful. I'm Amanda Stevens, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Epic Podcast.